and welcome. My name is Jolene. And I'm Emma. Two costume designers whose shared love of horror and fashion history have brought us together to deep dive the horror genre, going behind the scenes to uncover, understand, and analyze iconic horror characters and costumes that are simply to die for. Today on To Die For, we are joined by our very first special guest, Tracy White, costume designer of the coveted horror anthology film Tales from the Hood and the upcoming Netflix series The Upshaws coming out on May 12th. We'll be chatting about her work, anthology horror, and her perspective on costuming the genre. Hello, Tracy. Thank you so much for joining us. Hi. Hi, everyone. We're super excited to have you here. (laughs) I'm excited to be here. Yes, you are our first guest, your inaugural guest. Yes. <laughs> so no first pressure. I'm number one. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, just hop right into it. I would love to hear more about your experience on Tales from the Hood and building the world of an anthology. How do you build the characters to not only serve their individual stories, but also bring that cohesive vision to the film at large? Well, in that in this film, or in that film, Tales from the Hood, it was basically one, two, three, four, five. It's truly only four vignettes, but there are, there. it seems like six because it starts off telling the story in the mortuary and ends in the mortuary. So I consider those vignettes. I don't know if the uh, director, Rusty Cundiff, did, but I do. And so they were all each individual stories that merged into a final ending. Um, So each vignette kind of dictated what the characters were. Like the first one was about the rogue cop. And um, so you had policemen, you had the, uh, a policeman that gets, uh, you have a politician that's killed by the policeman. And then you have this cop that couldn't do anything about it. And so he's strung out and all of that. So you could, it was easy for me to depict each character, like from the cop, when he was a cop, his uniform. And then when he was distressed, he was drinking in bed and it, he just looked distressed and like the story kind of told itself. So it was easy for me to dress the characters accordingly. And uh, then the politician, typical, I used to uh, live in Washington, D.C. I'm from the East Coast. And politicians, the famous thing to seem as though they're not of any particular political group is the red, white, and blue tie. Just typical. Navy blazer, white shirt. And that's like my allegiance to politicians. Unless, like, we'll, we'll, we'll go to another vignette at some point where it is about a politician and because he is very conservative and a bigot, (laughs) uh, I gave him a red tie purposely. Mm. So I didn't have him when he gave his speeches, red, white, and blue, but on his own term, a red tie to kind of represent what political party he really was involved with. Mm. So then you had, of course, uh, let's see. Um, boys do get bruised. That is about the little kid that was drawing monsters. And um, basically the monster represented um, his, wasn't even his stepfather, I don't think. It was his mom's boyfriend who was abusing him. And um, that was kind of easy. It was just like a regular, I always dress kids, unless it's a defined kid, like if, if it's a coming of age story that I'm doing, 
and uh, the kids distinctly have different looks. Well, I do like one kid that's like an artist dressed in like thrift or a collective outfit type of thing, or a girl that's really like a girly girl. We put her in pink and that type of thing. But for this particular vignette with the little boy, I just dressed him like the gap, mm-hmm. pretty much the gap. And there were things that were uh, specified in the script, like for his bruises to be covered. So I would put, I think in one of them, I, I had a short sleeve striped t-shirt, but I put a denim shirt over it so that once they rolled up the sleeve or he took off the denim shirt, then it was revealed that he had bruises. But like a lot of, sadly enough, a lot of kids or whomever's getting abused finds ways to cover it up. So that was kind of mentioned. And we also discussed it in production meetings with Rusty. So like I would think in my mind, naturally, I thought, oh yeah, he should be in layers, but it was emphasized that, you know, I asked the director in the meetings you know, do you see it that way or do we see the bruises? But I think that's a really long time ago, but I think in the script, I think Rusty was very descriptive. So it would say in quotations or in parentheses, um, layered shirts. And so he kind of was able to tell me and anyone else who's involved with making the film, he put in little, you know, side notes. So you almost didn't even have to think. And he's very descriptive like that. So um, then it was the, yeah, the other political vignette was KKK comeuppance. And that's when we had the politician that was really, you know, like horrible. Yeah, he's a creepy character. (laughs) Yeah. And you had the little puppets. You had the little puppets. And that was a whole nother dynamic that was great. The person that did the little puppeteers and how they did that special effect to include them, they made the outfits. I didn't make those outfits for oh, those. Cool. But um, but we did talk because I wanted to know, you know, how they were going to look. And then also, of course, the director gave the puppeteer. Uh, and I don't even know if they were considered puppets, but the miniatures that they made. Um, he discussed with them how he saw them dressed. And plus that was flashing back to slavery. So they had the typical kind of layered slavery look. And um, so that was great. And uh, then, oh, the hardcore convert. Um, That was about the, basically the street kids and um, the, and gangs and all. So that was the typical, I live out in LA now and there's definitely a whole gang activity out here. So you kind of, even if I don't hang in that area, you kind of knew how to resource and having worked on a lot of other hip hop things, I sourced out their typical look, which is cheap, is um, what we have out here, swap meets. So you just, they just wear, they have a certain way of wearing layers of white t-shirts, like two of them, but one is one company with a lower neckline, but you can see through the top one is a whole kind of like uniform thing. Stiff, stiff, stiff Levi jeans. They consider them to be able to stand on their own. You know, (laughs) they wear Chuck Taylors and then, you know, plaid shirts over it and their chains and then their different bandanas. And in most films, unless it's a true documentary type of film, they don't really want you to use real gang color uh, bandanas. So I think in this one, 
I can't even remember now. I think if I put a bandana on someone, I put it like just a white bandana or maybe a faded yellow one because the gang colors that are significant out here are red and blue. So you don't want that attention to be brought, you know, especially even though it's a horror film is for entertainment and not to really, you know, rustle feathers. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So there was, um, there, what, oh, I know there was a lot of green used. Yes. Um, And that was basically, I wanted the characters to all kind of the main characters, which was the mortuary guy, the mortician, and then the three kids looking for it. They thought they were coming to get pot, you know, the drugs, <laughs> you know. And um, I wanted them all to coincide and relate because they're learning something, which is which they don't know that they're learning something and what's horrible happens at the end. But I wanted them all to kind of have a color that they all were connected by. And green, green just happens to be one of my favorite colors anyway. And green <laughs> to me means growth, you know, uh, like nature, as well as money. So another kind of growth. And um, so I just tried to make sure that the greens weren't exactly alike and the textures were different. Like the mortician, he wore a, it was, uh, I want to say embroidered vest if I can remember, I should have pulled out my portfolio to see. <laughs> and, um, and then like a frock coat. And I had, I designed all that. And usually when I do my designs, I'll do terra sheets, but now I do uh, pick collage on, since everything's digital back then you would just, you literally did terra sheets out of magazines or whatever. And um, I would do sketches of, the feel. And I did the research. I just felt like he would be kind of Victorian, Edwardian or something. I don't know, even know why I felt that, but I felt like he had an old soul and the whole storyline is that he should look like someone ancient, but not his physical face, but the clothing, but also that he was um, pristine. And then the kids, I just did the typical like Adidas dark green sweatsuit for one. And I think the other one had a plaid shirt. Um, I'm not remembering what the other kid on, but they all did have shades of, of gray because there's a time where you see them inside the coffins and that's when they have different colors on. And I think those were more of the earth tone because they were going down into the ground. I didn't get any specific notes from Rusty on colors um, because he, I love working with him because he really leaves it up to you to create what's in your head, unless he has something specific. Um, I think we work together a lot well because of the fact that he gives me freedom and he draws off of my own, how I see it in my head and my imagination, as well as I present it to him. And then he's like, oh, I wasn't even thinking of that, but that's great, you know, or, or sometimes he's like, um, oh, that person, I didn't read them to be that loud you know, or that flash. Mm-hmm. So tone it down. But for the most part, it's, I could almost say that I could just not even show him a character and he would just be like, Oh, that's great. And love to be surprised on the day. Oh, but I do. That's wonderful. 
Yeah, but I do cover myself by making sure I present them. And sometimes he's not even paying attention. So that's when I know he's just like, okay, go with it. Whatever you want. <laughs> right. Um, yeah. We talk about that a lot too, like how important the relationship between directors and costume designers are because you other other than the actors, you're working so closely with them. And, and you do want to have somebody like that where you're feeding off of them or there's that trust built and you can just run with your ideas. And, and that is freeing as a designer too, to have a director that trusts you in that way. Actually, that's a perfect segue because my next question was about color blocking because when I covered um, this piece on the blog, I did notice the green as as the thread color for those three main characters and the, and the mortician. But then I also noticed that you planted green in those anthology stories as well as that wraparound story. Was that purposeful as like, these are the truth characters in those stories or... Pretty much. I, I always, my, is it's not a secret anymore that I'm saying it, but um, <laughs> because green is my favorite color, I always, it's like an automatic color to go to. And so I try to place it somewhere. It's like my little, little prize oh, star, you I know, that. my little <laughs> dandelion that I drop into things, you know, just like um, there was another movie I did, um, The Little Richard Story. And like for that one, um, since we went in time with Little Richard, and it went from when he was a kid all the way up to his great success. Um, my father's no longer with us, but I have a lot of his uh, handkerchiefs and ascots he used to wear. And so I plant those, I well, in the movie Little Richard, I planted a lot of his pieces in as just a tribute to my dad. So I do little things like that. And it doesn't really mean anything to anybody else but me. And, mm -hmm. you know, so, and I just like to see it when it comes to fruition, you know, on the screen, either TV or, you know, in the cinema or now streaming. And I just mm -hmm. look at it and say, oh, it showed up. Yeah, yeah, it's like your little signature that because I mean it's not like a painting where you can sign the bottom of it, but it's almost as your signature on the screen. Yeah, That's all, I love exactly. that. Oh, I can't wait to look for your your signature in the Upshaws. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> little little seed. Yeah, little yes. sprout. I'm gonna be like, I know sprout. that. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Well, it yeah. creates such wonderful symbolism too, and I I feel like symbolism is one of my favorite things when looking at any costume, and I love, I mean. Frankly, that's what half of this podcast is. We want to yeah. dig in and find the symbolism. And we've, we've talked about it, I think, maybe on a previous episode or just on the phone. Um, but I know that we had chatted about um, how, you know, sometimes you – how do you make um, – I think it was our Gruesome Foursome episode where we mm -hmm. talked about making um, like a pre-existing IP – um, still feel like your own spin, like put a costume designer putting their own spin on that. And I think that these little tiny, you know, symbolic seeds that a costume designer can put onto their costumes really makes it all the more special. And it also creates a more unique look and kind of that signature look that that costume designer can bring to something, I think is, you know, what people want. It's people want costumes that don't feel cut and dry every time and a lot of that is that kind of little symbolism that personal touch and then mm -hmm. also just like color blocking and like playing with tropes and also a lot of what you had mentioned about building that anthology world um what rang true to me is that it sounded like it 
was really important to you that it not only like symbolized the character and your personal touches, but also felt based in reality to some degree. Like it felt like this costume has to make sense for this character and little touches, like, especially with like the denim shirt and like rolling it up, like things like that, that would happen in real life and make sense for that character. Yeah. Yeah. That's the one thing I try to keep is realism in the story because the one thing I notice about some costume design work I see um, sometimes the clothes look like they just came off the rack and put on someone and I like to pre-wash I like to slightly distress I just like it to be real I I noticed that from the time I got into costume design I would say what's wrong with these costumes and I'm like oh it looks like they just steamed them out Hmm. like instead of that kid has had that denim shirt since who knows when, like the elbows should be worn out or, you know, it should be frayed on the edges. So I really practice that a lot. So as soon as a costume is determined before it goes on screen, I make sure to cater to the authenticity of what is to me, what it should look like. And especially when I'm distressing something, I go through levels to see how far the director sees that to be mm. like sometimes like oh I don't want it to be that distressed or you know mm-hmm. that type of thing so I look at all that stuff and then that playful thing that I like throw as you describe it my little signature to each project um to me is just keeping myself entertained because sometimes <laughs> you, you know you're going through the process and you're doing fittings you sometimes have difficult actors and you whatever so I have to find a little game that I play with myself so I'm like maybe you know you know I'll give people signature jewelry and all and um like in our upcoming show the Upshaws on Netflix uh Wanda Sykes character um I she said that she serves herself as wearing gold jewelry instead of like other people see silver or wear both, whatever. So, and she doesn't, she's not flashy or anything, but what I thought that her character would have is a signature ring. So I had a custom, you know, pinky ring done for her with her character's um, initials put in. So she wears that every time. And even the producers, producers were like, really, Tracy, you think they're going to see it? And then <laughs> There was a shot of her and I got a screenshot of it and I texted to the producer that said that at the beginning. I said, look at that, clear as day. Right in, there. Right in the camera for a long time. I said, see, those little details do count. They Absolutely. add up. They really yeah, do and, add up. And I just try to be like real life. Like I have signature jewelry that I wear every day unless I'm changing into a totally different outfit. Like um, even when I go to the beach, I wear the same jewelry in hopes that I don't lose it. But um, so a lot of people do that. They wear the same, you know, chain bracelet, you know, same earrings or whatever. So I try to do that with my characters because they are quote unquote characters, but they're real people, you know. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So. And people like to, in real life, feel like their clothes are personal. And so it makes sense to not only build the world in a film, but that's also something people would do in real life. And I also feel like it helps the actors get into the mindset of the character. Like those touches help them too to further their performance for their character to come through on the screen. Yeah. And I yeah. think also as an audience member, 
even if you didn't know that character with those details, if you don't see them, sometimes it feels like there's a little something missing. So when you add those details in, it becomes more of a real person that you're watching on the screen and it becomes more comfortable because you're like, oh, okay, yeah, they, they wear pinky rings too or they wear these earrings that I kind of have as well. And, and there's like a relatability to that, which is nice. Yeah. And, and not every, I mean, a lot of people probably knew coming to costume design, some come out of the stylist world and they want to make it everything a fashion show, but unless the character requires that, you know, cause I think everybody was blown out of the water about sex in a city and I, I love it too, yeah. but not every person is going to be, you know, wearing a different outfit three times a day. So there's people, you know, there are characters that are regular, regular people. Those people have five pairs of shoes. So you just have that and you will, and the character will feel real if this, if a mother only has two purses, her good purse and her everyday purse. And that should be represented in a character. And it's like, if you understand your character and once you discuss it also with the director and the actor, how do they portray this person, you know? So um, some people uh, wear a uniform all the time. And so my practice is, if that's the case, I usually get doubles at the very beginning because anything can happen. It can lost at the dry cleaner or whatever. And it's like, oh my God, you know? So I try to, when an outfit is a signature outfit, and you're doing uh, a project that's uh, duration is pretty long, I usually get doubles regardless of if it's needed or not. Now some, you know, in some scripts and some projects, because you might have um, action or um, blood or something like that, that's an automatic. You get like triples and quadruples, you know, or, you know, 10 of the same thing. But I try to practice even with the regular things that don't require that. If it's a, a signature piece, I try to get doubles. Now, mm -hmm. if it's vintage, then somehow I try to, if there's some way, if it's not a print and it's just a plain fabric, I'll have the tailor make it and then wear it down to look as close as possible as the original, just in case. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, through the years, I've had a lot of things happen. And it was just like, oh, my God, what am I going to do? <laughs> Seriously, anything yeah. can happen. And especially with vintage. I've done a few pieces where I've used almost exclusively vintage. And it was affordable, but it was a little difficult when it came to, you know, distressing and getting the right distressing and trying to find duplicates for them. And that's definitely where it gets tricky. But especially in horror there's so many transitions that characters go through and so many things that happen to them yeah. that mm -hmm. if you don't get duplicates, like I would just be too scared to do my job. <laughs> like I would just right, be right. in fear at all times of like, okay, no one touch the shirt, like no one do anything, but yeah, yeah. you know, you have to get, um, you know, the same blood stains on the duplicates. And for that reason alone, you need even more duplicates of the same item. Like it just, it'll keep going just for safety's sake. And oftentimes a duplicate usually ends up being used like in some way, shape or form. Yep. So it's yeah. not even, you know, being overzealous. It's like, that's things will happen to, to those items. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So when you were doing, um, cause there's four police officers and obviously there's one that does become visibly distressed when he, you know, 
finds out that he really can't do much in his position. But the other three cops, did you have to buy duplicates or like what was the process for those outfits for them? Because there's not a ton of action with them, but. I did because okay. they go through, I believe, uh, a graveyard and right. get roughed up in one way or another because they're roughing up the politician or something like that. I got duplicates for them. And um, I know a lot of people choose to rent uniforms and things. I might have rented those uniforms because that was an early one of my projects. But nowadays, I just buy it because by the time, depending on how distressed it is, you're going to have to pay for a loss if you rented it anyhow. Um, But also the fact that depending on how long you're going to keep the rental, you've ended up paying for a new one already. So I purchase as much as I can. I really try my best not to do rentals, but I mean, you can't really stay away from rentals. Right. But if I can, I try to, because if you do like a production rental or something like that, you've already paid for that outfit, you know? Right. So um, another thing that I always get doubles on, if, I mean, there might be an exception to the rule, but jewelry, mm. I all, because you, what do you do if you lose one of true, the yeah. earrings? What happens? You know, what happens if that earring or charm bracelet breaks? You know, so most likely, unless it's really called for, I don't buy extremely expensive jewelry, you know, and plus watch my budget. I don't really want to invest most of the money in that. Right. But um, so depending on what, you know, I just stay in a, a decent enough price range with jewelry so that I can always have doubles always, you know, sometimes the actor does get away with wearing it home (laughs) and then they forget, you know, to bring it back. Or they really like it and they forget. Exactly. (laughs) I wear it it in my pocket. Yeah. You know, they don't have an assistant that can go run back to their home and get it for them. Yeah. The smaller the piece, the more duplicates you need. Yeah. Yeah. Or you're looking for it when you're wrapping out their room at the end of the day and you never thought to look inside the purse and it's been there the whole time. (laughs) Then the next day, another costumer goes to empty out the purse. It's like, here are the earrings all the time. Yeah. (laughs) Oh my God. Yeah. I can't tell you how many pieces of like small bits that are like, is this a prop or a costume? I call them prop stooms that like yes. end up back in the props department. And oh, I'm like, yes. I can't find this. Yeah. Oh my God. Yes. That happened so much a couple summers ago on um, the camp horror that I did where we were outside and we had like the props set up, like prop department was right next to my little setup. Yep. And <laughs> just like things like, like ba- there was like a lot of like, um, I, used a lot of like vintage like suitcase bags and I provided those but I they just sort of ended up over in props (laughs) but then like sometimes the people like oh those are Emma's so we're just putting stuff in them and for the costume and then it just gets all switched around so frequently (laughs) especially those prop stooms that are like yeah this is everyone's responsibility right like purses hats 
I call them prop stooms because I'm like, are they props? Are they costumes? Like I'm providing them, but it's handheld. Like the actor rule is like if it's handheld, it's a prop. Like a cell phone. Yeah. yeah. Props go yeah. inside of it if it's a purse. So. <laughs> I know. And I, well, I collaborate with a lot of um, prop masters because um, in the case of this new show that's going to air, the Wanda Sykes character uh, carries a cane or mm. uses a cane. And I um, collaborated with the prop person because it is technically a prop, but because I knew what I saw the character using, I was just like, here are some pictures of canes I see her, hmm. you know, carrying like the little flora one or the ones that you can fold up and put in your purse, mm-hmm. you know, or the one that has a curved bar. So I collaborate a lot with um one thing I do really love about film over TV is that you have more of what I call um, art school collaborations where everybody sits down and merges together their ideas, where you sit down with the art director and we even discuss what, you know, you have to do this anyway so that costumes don't match the wall unless <laughs> the script requires that. Right. But you actually get to sit down and merge together and cross thoughts on things like with props, art direction, you know, okay, well, with props, um, a watch. Oh, I'll get the watch, but you, and we'll keep it in that character's closet so that we can set it every day in their room, but it will come out of the prop budget, hmm. you know, so, and then um, I'll have you keep the duplicate watch just in case, because at the end, if they require that they keep the props because they paid for it, then okay, you know. Mm-hmm. So I, I love, I mean, not that you don't collaborate on TV that way, but it's more intense when you're doing a film, I believe. You have more time. Totally. And TV is like a microwave. It's fast. <laughs> oh, <Yeah>. wow. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. Well, speaking of collaboration, it it to harken back to sort of what you had mentioned about your relationship with the director on Tales from the Hood, it sounds like um, it was pretty easy to collaborate together and that, you know, they provided lots of description and through working together, you were able to really just kind of get each other's vision. And that's one of the best ways to collaborate with the directors when you really get them, because then both of your visions are kind of able to come to life in this really beautiful way. And that made me really curious about characters that went through a lot of changes from pen to the screen and both stylistically and maybe just character trait wise. I'm very curious what that process of collaboration looks like um, when it comes to you working with um, a director and a writer and sort of how it's forms in the beginning and how molding that ball of characters kind of shape shifts throughout the process and um, what kind of changes stood out to you the most? Well, the first thing we know, we, we read the script. Then I highlight while I'm reading the script and I write notes. Um, that's why I physically still need a, a script that yeah. I still need a physical script. Um, and so I write notes so I know what to ask, you know, the director. Um, and then I ask them one-on-one, and then I ask them when we have the big sit-down with all of the creative heads. Um, because some other people have inputs too, you know, that really do matter, you mm-hmm. know, like supposedly, you know, like um, 
I had to know how dark the mortuary was going to be so that I knew how to pop the green so he wouldn't, you know, die out. Or you, in the meeting, you also have the, um, the DP cinematographer and the lighting person. So they're like, okay, we're going to have to light this so that the suit still stands out because it's all brown walls. So that's why you really need to interweave all of your, you know, creative views on how you're going to do your end. And then um, basically all directors usually have their view. I just, I've been lucky enough not to work with any that, that really dictate exactly. You know, they give you some freedom. Now, some dictation, I really understand why, you know. But um, then once I've had the main meetings with the director, I just get down to getting my ideas. I put, like I just said before, I do my presentation boards of each character. So usually I do two to three boards for each character, if not more. But I'll do my extreme imagination Mm. Then I'll do what I know is typically thought of in other people's mind, like the regular mind. And then I <laughs> order it down mm-hmm. because sometimes you have all, they t- tell you they want everything so extraordinary. And by the time it's watered down, it's like a gap ad. And you're like, oh, well, at least they're going to wear socks I chose. But <laughs> I want them right. to have a range to pick from. Because if you get them two way out and, and there's a new director you're working with, they're just like, oh, she doesn't get it at all. And then they're scared from the beginning. Then I would just, just switch out the board and say, here's another version. So then I can just put a tab on it or circle, you know, highlight star or put a little star on the outfits that they could relate to, you know, mm. and I, I can, I have notes to go by. And that's why you do then, you know, you, you first meet, uh, you first read the script, you go over notes, then you do your boards for each character. And that's why I have a selection because I'm so happy and surprised when they just take that most outrageous. Cause I, I really Score. like, yeah, I always <laughs> like to twist things myself. Then we get down to the boards or pictures that are chosen. Then I do, if it's correct on one board, that's the board I put into the costume fittings. So when the actors come, I'm like, this is the vision that myself as well as that, that director has. And what, what do you see that I could add to this character? Like some people say, oh, I see myself wearing pearls mm-hmm. or I see myself always having a handkerchief. You know, I don't, you know, the script said tissues, but I'm a woman that would have my own, you know, monogram (laughs) handkerchief. Mm -hmm. So you take, then they add to it too. I mean, sometimes though you have some actors that forget that they're playing a part and it's like, we're not talking about today (laughs) of you walking down the street. We're talking about the character, Catherine. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So let's switch up. This is not about you. acting mode. Right. (laughs) Yeah. So then, um, like in Tales from the Hood, the psychiatrist that Crazy K went to see and that uh, the hardcore uh, convert, I think is the name of the um, vignette, um, but he goes to see the psychiatrist that's trying to um, analyze his street ways and like rearrange his mindset. Well, I thought that was so far out the way if you read the script yourself, um, the way I read it. So I wanted to put her 
as a scientist kind of, Hmm. but I wanted to to be avant-garde. So she had the extremely long sleeves. So I just wanted to be like futuristic. So I took a basic lab coat idea and um, I showed Rusty, this is a lab coat, but I feel like this is futuristic the way this whole vignette is going. So I'm going to put an extreme exaggeration on it. So um, I actually had my assistant costume designers, her hand is more fluent than mine for illustration. So I had her sketch it out. Mm-hmm. And then, um, so I had a few pieces in the movie I actually truly designed from scratch. And that was one that was really fun. I loved how that turned out and Rusty loved it too. And then her assistants in the lab, you didn't really get to see them that much, but there were three and they probably, you just saw them for a quick second, but I put them all in uh, like bib skirts that were patent leather and uh, put them in futuristic, like uh, the sock type or stocking boot back then. So mm-hmm. it was kind of clubberish, like going to a club, but it was kind of like, since they're in a lab, you don't know what could get splashed on them or whatever. So I put them in that black vinyl apron type uh, dresses. And um, so I tried to really, I had the freedom to kind of funk them out. So I did a spin on really a lab looks, that type of thing assistant lab workers, a nurse type of thing. And so that that particular vignette was fun also because I really could go out there. It was like there was no dictation and on how the character was seen. And so I presented a whole different new light to Rusty on those characters I was signing. He said, go for it. Yeah. So it was great. Yeah. Those characters are so much fun too. And and then when everything comes together with the strobe lights and then you have the actor sitting in like what looks like an electric chair and he's like in the chair and Mm -hmm. he's screaming and they're just cold and callous and standing there like it absolutely reads like those characters are creepy because they're so clinical. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And those costumes too are just absolutely some of my favorites because I, I love costumes that are just a little surreal. There's just like something about it that doesn't feel entirely like, like it makes entire sense for the tone of the film, but it wouldn't make sense in reality, but it, it makes sense because of what the film is actually getting across. And sometimes it just looks cool. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I like to, I like to, even in modern day contemporary pieces that I work on, I always try to find a character or a look for one character that I can completely design and do it from scratch, you know, like really shop the fabrics, uh, create, you know, a pattern and something that's just different instead of straight purchase or uniforms. Mm -hmm. Like even if, if the uniform is allowed to not be a true uniform, I try to add my own little, a different kind of epaulet on it or a different kind of collar or something. And even um, I worked on this project that I was not the costume designer on, but um, we were, it was involved with the all girls private school. So I really collaborated with her on saying, how about let's not fast food this, let's actually design a uniform. And I gave her credit. She was the costume designer, but she wasn't thinking that way. And I said, if we have enough prep time, you know, so we added um, piping to mm. 
uh, like the a plaid skirt it was a typical plaid skirt, but we used a different color plaid. Like it had eggplant in it in a baby blue instead of like when we went to the uniform stores, we saw the, the real ones. And I said, just make, you know, have all these made and then let's trim the jacket with the actual plaid that's in the skirt. And oh, you nice. usually don't see that, but it gave it its own look for the show. So mm. I, I like to create that way, you know, like maybe even if I got a regular school uniform, I would change out the buttons, you know, like put a different type of crest button on there instead of that regular mm. Navy button. Yeah. You know, yeah. So. How do you feel about tropes? Because I feel like it is very much kind of like you're able to see either the trope of what people, like you had mentioned, sort of what people think of characters, like what they think the character will be wearing. And then you're able to sort of spin it on his, on its head. Is that sort of what comes through when you're like creating that, that range of boards and you're like, yeah, that's what I do. So um, that's what I show. I really go by my initial imagination. So I do a board just like that. You know, I'm sitting here. I just lay out on the floor. I might have a little cocktail or something. I free <laughs> my mind because I'm by myself. You know, I have no interruptions. I'm not in the office or in my workroom with the rest of the crew or my staff or my team, basically, because we're in the prep stages. So I'm like, you know, it's almost like I get to relax and stretch. And I just do tear sheets, like it instantly, instinctive, intuitively what I think. And I do a board just like that. Then I might come up for air and even do the next day after I've slept on it and do what I call back to normal. Then I say they might not even want that. Like, like I know in the commercial world, when you're doing commercials, unless it requires something to be avant-garde, it mellows down to they want overall everybody in the country to relate. So it goes from even this minor script for a commercial of, oh, she's supposed to be funky, funky, funky. So I have her look like a punkster and it comes down. No, just put her in all black, you know, for, <laughs> right. because, you know, if Neutral. you're from Missouri, they can't relate to this. And I'm right. like, how do you know? You haven't presented it to them yet like right. this, you know, but you've got to go with your client. But, um, so I give them, you know, I give a mild choice, like what I call the mild manner board, mm-hmm. you know, the middle of the road board. And then I have the Tracy board. And so if I give them enough that they might just pick, you know, the uh, thorn necklace from the Tracy board and add it to the middle of the road outfit. And that's their excitement. So I'm like, OK, I, at least you pick something from my mm-hmm. imagination. So that's you just. It's just like in a Rubik's cube, basically, with yeah. all of the things to get all the colors to click at the same time. I love that analogy a lot. So when you are creating these boards, where does a lot of your design inspiration come from then? Like, is it project by project based or do you have like certain things that you draw back to each project that you can kind of meld into? Well, I do things that sometimes... Um, I've taken pictures of people on the street myself Okay. and I don't ever reveal their faces. Like I think on my Instagram, I have one woman, it was like last, the first of the lockdown for COVID. And uh, she had the greatest matchy match outfit with the sun visor. And I was walking to the beach and I said, oh my God, I got to get a 
picture of her, but I got a picture of her on the side, but I never reveal their face so that they can't be identified. And plus to kind of save their privacy. Like they if somehow this woman ever came across my Instagram, would she say, oh, that looks like that could be me, you know, mm-hmm. but she, you know yourself well enough, she would know it's her, but nobody else would. And so I do a lot of people watching. That's why, I mean, of course, a lot of us miss doing a lot of public things during COVID. But what I missed is just that because I live on the West Coast, but my family is primarily on the East Coast, I would fly back a lot. And that's when you see, that's like the best people watching is, you know, public transpo flying across town. And then if you have... (laughs) You know, uh, if you have a layover or something like that and it's in the middle of the country, the people that get on the plane and off the plane, it's just like, or you, if, you, if you have to stop and, you know, change over to another flight, it's so interesting because I live in La La Land, you know, in Cali, I see the same thing all the time. And of course, you know, you can watch TV, do whatever and get your ideas and watch the news but until you're in the presence to see people. So that helps me a lot. So I actually do a lot of, uh, you know, um, I take a lot of pictures, street fashion. I just don't have a blog. I'm not that person that <laughs> had the blog that do all that, you know. Yeah, just a and blog in your brain. Exactly. <laughs> so sometimes I use pictures that I just have, you know, on my camera or whatever. And um, sometimes... I watch TV a lot and everything. So something might stick in my mind of like something from a commercial. I don't, I can't even explain. It's all like a lot of my imagination or I reference because if I am reading a script and a character seems to be um, offbeat, then I go, and it depends on what offbeat. Are you a nerd offbeat? Are you a punk offbeat? Like something in the script will allow my head or my mind to take it in that direction. So then I just start, you know, I'll Google street fashion, you know, or um, or I know a website to go to that relates to, okay, I want to do her as punk. So I'll find like somebody, I'll just Google a person that does a punk blog and maybe they have like pictures. And then I know a lot of stores and websites that have certain things like I uh, use a lot for something that's off. Um, there's the company called Dolls Kill. Mm. And they have a lot where they have, it's almost like to me, punk, but uh, rage, you know, um, when you go to rave, I mean. And um, so it's a whole culty kind of look. For some odd reason, I don't know why I know these places, but <laughs> I usually find out a source of somebody, you know, I'm talking to somebody and they tell me, oh, you should go to this site or whatever. Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. Well, it's so yeah. much about talking with people and mm-hmm. seeing where people are at. And social media is also an amazing tool to uh, see, you know, what real people are wearing, you know, through like tags and whatnot. But then also like you find, you know, someone that has a punk look, someone who's a real life punk and oh, they tagged where they got their top from and then going to that site and looking exactly, through all that. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. And digging deep and being kind of a sleuth, of a little fashion sleuth. <laughs> yeah. And then all of a sudden, all your Instagram ads are like, buy dresses from Dolls Kills because I've been up on their website and their stuff is like, it, some of it's really cool and then some of it's like, oh my goodness, like who, who would yes. wear that? <laughs> yes. yes, I very much had my Dolls Kill phase in 2018 <laughs> when I found it. I don't shop there anymore, but there was a time. 
there was a time. Yeah. There's some brands that I believe they carry that I still have my eye on. And I'm like, is that the flavor of Emma I want to be today? Right. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. I resource Pinterest. And so a lot of times. I love Pinterest. Like, just go, just you know, scanning my phone, like I come across something, I make sure I put it on one of my Pinterest boards so that I don't forget it. So I have a, a one one of my boards um, is just uh, miscellaneous, etc. It's just random stuff. I don't even <laughs> have a category for it, but it's something about it. And it's something usually having to do with clothes or, or a person that's just so distinctive that I've, you know, if I can pin it off of whatever I saw it on, yeah. Um, I just put them in that random place, you know, so and then I even have a board where it's like shop and find. So if I find like there's no real purpose for me to shop it, but I could see that I could resource it for a project that I'm going to do. So I'll pin that website onto that board so I know where to shop and find it. Mm-hmm. And so I'll scroll through my Pinterest as well as when I Google or go on Pinterest itself and do a search so many things pop up. So I use a lot of that um, for my boards and ideas. Yeah, yeah, Pinterest is a great resource. I have pretty much designed all of my shows through Pinterest and I'll make secret boards of like all of my projects and just like image dump everything in. And I love the Pinterest toolbar uh, feature too. So like if you're just web surfing on actual web pages, you could just like pin from the toolbar in Google, yes. which is kind of cool. It's yeah. so addicting too. It is so it addicting. Is. I'm just constantly like, I want to go to Paris and I want to cook this and I want to bake this. Yeah. Yes. Well, it keeps me too from uh, really um, doing spontaneous shopping because if I look at it enough, like a, like a shoe maybe I thought I had to have, if I see it enough on my Pinterest, I'm over it already. I'm like I'm like, so thank goodness I didn't spend, you know, $300 on those shoes that would now be under the bed collecting right. dust. <laughs> right. So I'll just see it on my Pinterest board. And usually if it's obviously not meant for me to have, I'm over it after, you know, <laughs> you know, the third month of seeing it. Yeah. Because it will keep <laughs> popping up and tormenting you and until oh, yeah. until you decide if it's time or not to buy the shoes. Right. Exactly. But, you know, it's a great healthy outlet for yes. us <laughs> impulse buyers. <laughs> yes. yes. <laughs> Um, I would love to hear more about your perspective on fashion and the world of costume design, because I think that both the world of like the fashion industry and the costume industry, they're both so different. But when you have the perspective of both and are inspired by both in different ways and, you know, vice versa, it can add a lot of value to your projects. And I'm just curious to know um, more about how, the world of fashion and your knowledge of the fashion industry and trends influences your costume design. Well, I actually started off in fashion um, and cost, and uh, before I was in uh, became a costume designer. So I was in New York and I was working in the fashion industry on the low end, you know, um, and that's really what my dream was to be a fashion designer. But I was young and dumb, of course, and I didn't realize the politics involved in climbing the ladder. I thought, you know, after maybe a year, I could put together a runway show, whatever, which I possibly could have. But I was already in the business and it just seemed like you didn't have the freedom to use your imagination the way I thought. But that was just part of me growing up anyway, learning that politics is involved in everything. It doesn't matter what. 
But then I thought, oh my God, this is what the fashion industry is like, you know? And so, and then everything was, um, I was thinking couture fashion, but I think for a minute I worked at Evan Bacone for a minute and I would dress uh, for some of the fashion shows um, and everything seemed um, repetitive to me or something. And it seemed like you were supposed to, the way you had to maneuver to get like maybe sponsored as a, a fashion designer really left a bad taste in my mouth. And then luckily enough, I was a club girl. So I was clubbing <laughs> and I met uh, some friends. They became my good friends that were um, in the NYU uh, film graduate program. And so they said, oh, we need something, you know, for their thesis film they would actually get funded. And so they said, oh God, we would love to have you do our costumes. And I, it was so funny because when I was younger, I used to actually, when I would go to the movies with my mom or whatever, I would look at the credit of the costume designer. And I had no idea that eventually would lead to me being a costume designer. So something in my mind already knew that's what I was supposed to do. And um, so I had no idea how to be a costume designer and my friends taught me how to break down a script and I already knew cause I was a famed like film watcher and I always loved watching TV and I noticed characters and all that. So it was just like a, a natural, like, Ooh, the bell went off in my head. And then I soon merged into costume design, but the, I feel like fashion design has everything to do with costume design, because if you can separate the two, knowing there is a difference from fashion came certain looks. So if you didn't have fashion, even back in Edwardian days, you wouldn't have that to reference back if you're doing a period piece, because that even if that wasn't called fashion design, it was still fashion, you mm -hmm. know. Um, like if you were doing a period piece, that's the sixties, you distinctly have to go back to the fashions of the sixties. So I think they correlate because you're building a character real life or imaginary, and you have fashion to associate with your character, you know? So mm -hmm. I think they cross over into each other, you know? The only thing I think is that sometimes is misunderstood, like I mentioned earlier in the podcast, that um, people might think they want to make a character a fashion show. And right. it's like, no, she's she only has three pairs of shoes. She's 16, you know, <laughs> unless she's making a new outfit every week, she repeats the same kind of looks. So, right. yeah. but um, if it weren't for fashion, you wouldn't have certain looks for characters. So I think they you know, feed off of each other. Yeah, absolutely. And one of my favorite books is, I think it's called uh, The Fashion of Film or Fashion yeah. in Film. By uh, yes, 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 yes. Amazing. Yes. Isn't that an incredible book? I mean, she really lays out genre by genre, you know, you can really see exactly how well these films, both, they're, they're, they're just intrinsically linked, you know? Yeah. Yes. Fashion feeds off of film just as much as film feeds off of fashion and it's this cycle. And I don't think that, um, you know, and that's, what's crazy is that oftentimes fashion designers in the industry get a lot of credit, whereas costume designers don't 
get as much credit, I think, as much as they're due for their impact on even the fashion industry and the influence that's there. Because I think that, you know, we're all working together whether or not, you know, we like it. And we all love fashion, whether you're coming from the film or fashion industry. And there's such a deep love for it um, that I think especially costume designers have because it's for us, I feel that it's not exclusively about creating super cool clothes, but it's also about storytelling and getting into the minds of characters and like why they're wearing the fashion they're wearing. And sometimes they're wearing that fashion because of the character they are. Sometimes it's the way the story is portrayed and the tone of the film and, you know, this, that, and the other. And so I love talking about how they're linked because they really are. What's so great is that now a lot with these collaborations, like a lot of designers have a business sense, costume designers, that they collaborate with stores like H&M, Zara. So we're actually crossing over into each person's world, each other's world as fashion designers and costume designers, you know, and then is vice versa of like the costume designer basing a character on a look from fashion design some characters are influenced fashion because this person wears a certain look and this movie does really well or the TV show. And then everybody wants to look like, you know, like everybody wanted to be a collective, like Carrie on sex in the city, you know, type of thing. Or, you know, um, everybody wanted to be like the devil wears Prada, a few of those characters in that. And so it's like, they're crossing over you know, the lines are bleeding over into each other. Yeah. You see that a lot too, um, very prominently, the brand integration with Wes Anderson's work and the designers that he works with, because there's a lot of brands that are also in your face. Like I always think of the Royal Tenenbaums where Margot Tenenbaum has the Lacoste dress and you can clearly see the yes. logo. And then Chaz Tenenbaum has the Adidas tracksuit with his son. Yes. You can see the logo really clearly. And I, I love that kind of like, and, and they are influencing each other, like you were saying, because Lacoste is a very known brand that influenced this movie. But then the Margot Tenenbaum striped dress was custom made, but now has influenced fashion. And so many people, I always joke that on Halloween in Brooklyn, you count the hipsters being Margot and Richie Tenenbaum because there's so yes. many of them at the bars. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. God, I love the costuming in Every Wes Anderson film. Oh, me too. I know. I know. They're delicious. He's so meticulous. So you know that's the collab. That's when you know there's a true connection of the hips between the costume designer and the director. Yeah, totally. He's the creator, the director, and so it's crucial as the costume designer. So he has to really trust, and they have to really be able to get along to intertwine like that. Because if you don't, I don't even know how you can get through it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And you can clearly distinctly see like the signature also within that Wes Anderson umbrella image of each designer that he has worked with over the years, which is really special too. That like, you know, they, they each have their own signature look that they've brought to this piece, which is nice. Yeah. So you, I've never had the honor to read an actual script of his, you know, before the project is done. But I can imagine he puts notes, obviously, in it to tell you 
that this character, you know, he does enough description to say the family should look like this, you know, Upper East mm-hmm. Side, or right. you know, they go, you know, they have they own three homes, or this is like a camping trip. But I want them to have like a uniform for their camping, even though it's a family. They're not going to look like the ordinary person on the street or the right. a collective family. They're all going to be uniformic. Yeah. There's kind of a fantasy element to it. And, you know, I bet the meetings with the creative heads, like those are the projects where you have to have tons of meetings and collaboration. Yeah. It's yep. so cohesive and I love it so much, but there's definitely not a lot of uh, independent work, I think, between departments. I think it would almost have yes. to be a massive collaboration. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I think it's down to the science of, like, what color red. Right. right. You find out that, that red is a broad statement all of a sudden. <laughs> before you think, oh, this is red. It's like, no, I want it to be more like a tomato. Yeah. Or you know, I want it more like a cherry. Or mm-hmm. I want it more, you know, like, I don't know. I want it to have a, um, almost a bluish effect to it, you know. Yeah. So it just looks like it's so precise like that. Yeah. He strikes me as one of those people who carries around a Pantone book in his like breast oh, pocket. Oh, yes. Pan- <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. You better, or you better have one. That's yeah. for sure. <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so kind of switching gears a little bit because I do follow you on Instagram and your stories, like what you post to your stories are so much fun. And I wonder, we kind of talked about how, you know, Pinterest and the different people watching that you do influences your design. Do you find that these runway shows, these, I saw a bunch of fun, like roller skating videos today. Like, does that also contribute to your characters as well? Yeah, that does. That does. And I'm just playful on my, I try to do on my uh, Instagram page, the feed, I try to just do things that I like and things that are artistic in one way or another, not necessarily, you know, related to costume and all, but on the stories, the, the part where it drops off after 24 <laughs> hours, I just do what I'm feeling like music and all that is really the vibe of the day for me. And I'm not even thinking about, I just want to express myself that way. That's why I put it on something that I know will disappear. Right. I don't try to do too much political stuff on there because I'm just trying to keep it light. Like everybody just needs yeah. to you know, detox and stuff. But yeah, I like, I'll see, you know how we all get addicted to the social media. I might be sitting there for an hour going <laughs> through, and I just... And when you do a search on there, all of a sudden, due to what you're looking at, that's what keeps coming up. So I would see one roller skating thing and just put that up. And then some more will start popping up. And so I'll just decide, I'm going to do three in a row. Or a lot of times I'm listening to music. And so what I do is I take Shazam and I let it pick up the song. And then I'll just screenshot the actual what song it is and then I'll go back in to and pull that picture up one story and then I'll go to music and find the actual song and then put it in the story feed so it's like I'm being a DJ at the same time and just making a fun Saturday as well as I I'm really into cocktails so you'll see a lot of that come up because I actually used to have a cocktail blog oh cool Yes. So you were a yeah. blogger, but it was yeah. like cocktail blogging. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It just became too much like homework after yeah. a while. It's like, so, um, but it was called Cocktail Playground. 
Oh, so, fun. Yes, yes. So, um, but it began like, it became like homework. But I, so I, I follow a lot of um, cocktail feeds. And so I post that a lot on the day daily. It's just how, what my mood is for the day. Yeah. Well, post pandemic, uh, the three of us will definitely have to have a picnic and like sample some cocktails. Yes. <laughs> yes. Fashionable cocktails. Yeah. Like, yeah. With roller skates. Cocktails yeah. on roller skates. <laughs> I'm, I'm so in. Yeah. <laughs> I was also really curious about, you know, as a costume designer, do you feel like there are any conversations that you've had with um, perhaps Rusty from Tales from the Hood um, or on other projects that you really felt like uh, built a concept for a character or helped push the story along in some way? Or are there even conversations that you go into a project definitely wanting to have, like questions that you want to ask the director, things that will help you get acquainted with the projects and the character that are important for you to know uh, to create these concepts in these worlds? For sure. Like I really let my imagination go. I don't always just think um, that this is what the director wants. I think of what do I want, you know, and uh, back to doing the several boards. That's why I do the boards a certain way, but I'll ask simple questions like, okay, are high heels too much for this character? You know, um, and then that might open their eyes and their mind to, you know, like suppose this person is a nurse, but some, some, for some reason I see her in heels, the way she carries herself, is that possibility? Or do you want her to be in flats or, you know, do you want the nurse to look, you know, is there a little bit of flashback to the past when they used to wear their little hats and all that type of thing? Like, even though it's contemporary, do we want to say nurse, you know, like right. spelled out that way? Or do we want to just have them in uh, scrubs, you know, like, do we want it that plain? Or are you trying to add an art to the character? Like, does this movie require it to have a twist to it? And then sometimes it opens their mind because due to, that's why you collaborate and have these meetings. Maybe they weren't even thinking that way. They were like, a nurse is a nurse is a nurse. And I'm like, well, I see three different types of nurses in my head. Right. Yeah. So definitely, you know, do you see this person, um, you know, because I think fashion oriented and look up clothes, I'm like, do you see this person in stockings? You know, hardly anybody wears stockings anymore, but I still wear tights and stuff, you know, yeah. and I wear the sheer socks with my ankle platforms, you know, ankle strap platforms. So I'm, you know, I add, try to add that to the character and maybe that's too much, you know, maybe that's looking too fashionista for that character. He's like, no, I just want her to look, you know, sleek or chic. And I don't want her to have, you know, cause sometimes that can make it look a little bit more funky or fashionista. And so those are the questions I have, you know, do you see that person in hoop earrings that can make a difference, you know, or do you see them with just a, you know, a golden ball earring with a post, you know, do you mm -hmm. see them in diamonds? You know, do you see that person wearing gold or silver? I mean, that can, all those details can make a difference in the character's richness on what level they are, you know, 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. So much oh. of characters and what we see, especially in an anthology where you basically have like these little short films. Yeah. Um, you don't have a lot of time uh, to truly dive into this character's past and who they are as a person. And you, you know, process who they are immediately through looking at them first. And what do you see? You see their costume and right. those little accessories, like just the difference in earrings um, can absolutely shift how we view a character because we're, you know, our preconceived notions about who we see in a certain accessory or a certain outfit and the tropes that we create in real life right. are what we input onto, you know, what we see on the screen when, you know, in an anthology film, we're not getting as much time to explore that character and have it laid out for us. You know, we kind of have to read between the lines and that's what's so cool about costume is that you're able to kind of uh, help push the story along in that way yeah and how often do we do that also on the street just in real life as as people where you know those those little details that make a person their favorite earrings their favorite purse we already know who this person is even if we don't know that person we know from our own biases this person or you know and that's that's why costume design is so important and so integral to, yeah. to not just horror, but just at large. Yeah. And like f- with film, the outfit is pretty, pretty definite once you've decided the, the costume for character for each change. With TV, there's a little bit more flexibility because for TV, and I work in both genres, in TV, you basically have a huge fitting, depending on how long the season is. And you build a closet, like the regular mm. closet like you have. And it's uh, like in the, the TV show, The Upshards, that is soon to air. Um, each person had their closet. Like one character uh, worked more administrative in the hospital. So she had a whole section of her closet that I fit her in like 10 suits at the very beginning with blouses, different type of blouses. That would be her work look. Then her casual look, because it takes place uh, in the Midwest or Indiana, um, she was not real trendy. So she had basic, you know, let's get two pairs of jeans, a dark pair and a lighter pair. And then do you want to wear graphic t-shirts or whatever? And then I just shopped her a certain type of jewelry. So then when I set her room, and even though I have to present the line of, which I call it, the line is, every character, what they're going to look like in each scene for that episode. Um, I send those pictures to the producers and director um, via email so that they can say, no, that's too fancy or we want, you know, or yeah, this is all great. But even down, because when I do those fast fittings like that, um, I don't put the jewelry on them when I'm doing the fittings. I just have a collection now and a whole board of Mm -hmm. every picture of their fittings. So I can pick and choose almost like granimals what they're going to wear for this episode, for what purpose that is. So when I set their jewelry, usually I bring in a tray, unless they have signature pieces like Kim Field's character for her suit looks, I would give her like six different pairs of earrings to choose from because sometimes she wouldn't be in the mood. I mean, they all fit her character, but she's like, mm, I don't see myself wearing pearls today mm-hmm. or with that look. So I will give her the pearl as a choice, the hoop with the pearl, the regular silver hoop or a a lucite hoop. And then when she came to set, 
I see what she wanted, you know, we document that that's what she wore. But um, so you have flexibility with that. And film is different. It's usually like you've done the whole look, you've had several fittings and depending on how many changes they have, they have to stick to it. Like it's Mm -hmm. the Bible then. It's Mm -hmm. like that's that, you know. So there's different ways to work in different times. And to um, what I do like about TV is like, with women, they might say, oh, I don't want to wear those jeans today. I feel bloated, but it's still, I can pull from her closet, the looser jean, you know, and it's not set in stone. Like the producer's not going to go crazy because the picture I sent had her in the black jeans. And she's like, oh no, I want to wear the other jeans. You know, Mm -hmm. they don't Mm -hmm. go bonkers as long as the look looks the same. And I really practice unless the script, whether TV or film dictates if they should wear certain colors, I always, in most cases, unless it's required, I don't like people to wear the same color. Like if you're all, Mm -hmm. suppose you're all sitting on the couch together, I'll give somebody, you know, maybe a plaid shirt, somebody, maybe they'll have a denim jacket on and the kids might have on different print t-shirts, but never is it like uh, a red shirt and Johnny has a red shirt and Sue has a red shirt on and they're sitting right beside each other unless the script requires that. So it's a whole lot of um, playing with the rack of each scene to make sure I hold sleeves out and say, wait a minute, is that eggplant too close to that maroon? Right. Mm-hmm. And, and like to see how they're going to work out the scene. Are they crossing each other? Are they going to sit beside each other? And also I make really huge boards of where it is the scene takes place. So I collaborate with the art department and find out, you know, is this set still has the same color wallpaper or whatever, so that the character doesn't get lost, you know, in the dark green wall of the bar, because I didn't, you know, have that picture of it up while I was doing the line. And I put somebody that's going to be, you know, when they're blocking the shot, oh my God, I put her in a dark green dress and she's going to be by that dark green wall (laughs) the whole time. Oh my God. You know, so it's, it's back to, like I said, it's like a Rubik's cube. There's so many things you have to consider. Painting a picture. Yeah. Yep. And just so much that like, which is one of the reasons why we wanted to do a podcast like this is that there's so much that goes into what we do as designers that I call them muggles, but the ordinary viewer doesn't um, see or think about because they're just they're just watching a movie and and it's not their job to think about those things. But when you deserve the recognition and you're trying to like, you know, almost scream for the recognition or the thanks that you deserve for doing this job, then like here are the reasons why. Like it's not just shopping. It is thinking about X, Y and Z constantly. I mean, on top of it, people don't realize that um, with stripes, you know, you have to be careful if it's going to strobe or moray. And most people don't even know what that is. And I said, well, I'll use the term more of strobing because I'm like, it's like a strobe light. You know, that's irritating. You can't even focus on them speaking because it's, you know, buzzing on the camera. And sometimes you see something you thought was going to be beautiful, but you have to before you even put it in for the fitting, you have to check with lighting and camera and say, can I test this camera test? This is, you know, and now that everything is HD, you mm-hmm. know, high definition, it's right. really kind of made our world worse because it's, it's so detailed, you know, it's like s- certain colors read neon and they aren't even neon, 
Yeah. You know? So, so it's so many things that come into play that people have no idea behind the scene. It's like, you got to consider prints, mm-hmm. you know, maybe that would be ideal if you're walking down the street, but not on camera, mm-hmm. you know, even down and to so, materials, like down to like, yeah. Oh you, yeah. You know, something reflective and then you absolutely can't get the shot because of how it's lit, you know, like, yeah. even yeah. if, even if, oh, the sequin top would be absolutely amazing. It's like, but actually in the shot, you can't see anyone. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> and yes. you also can't yeah. see the top. <laughs> yeah. And a lot of that you find out by, uh, by mistakes, you know, that's yeah. like, you know, <laughs> it, it's, it's, it's basically putting in the work and getting experience. There's a lot of things I never even thought of until all of a sudden it was like, cut. Oh my God. Do you have anything else they can put on? And it's like, oh my God, my head's going to explode. I'm never going to work again. You know, but then you (laughs) learn from that. You learn from that. That reminds me of commercials too, because I feel like on commercials, you have to have so many options because there's so many people involved that are going to make super last minute choices. Mm -hmm. So even if you're like, okay, like, camera test this looks fine this looks great there's always going to be someone on the phone from the company that's like no (laughs) actually just kidding yeah (laughs) yep do you have um whether it's tales from the hood or another thing that you've worked on you know where when you revisit your work do you have any of those moments when you're like oh maybe I shouldn't have done that or you know like do you ever regret choices or wonder why you made that choice I don't I don't think I've done that that much but Mm -hmm. what I'll say is if years have gone by I'm like look at that see if they had just let me make that character more avant-garde this you know it would be relevant to today you know the the costume actually like not to say I'm always thinking ahead of time you know but I'm you know I was the younger you are the freer you are now it's like sometimes that's why when I do boards now and I have to really make sure I'm relaxed because I'm already muddled down from maybe a past experience where I'm like, Oh, I shouldn't go that far with it or whatever. So I have to like totally refresh or whatever. Um, but it's more times I look at old projects where I just know the story behind what happened that day. Mm. And I'm like, Oh, that's how I <laughs> learned how to get doubles all the time, you know? Oh, wow, I survived that. And there's <laughs> other times are I was rushed. I know why that looks so, you know, blah, blase or whatever. And it's more of it takes me to the mood of the day that we actually shot. I don't care how long ago it was because when something dramatic happened on your end, right. it just sticks with you. <laughs> so it's not, not too much of why I picked something. It's almost like I know why. I'm not right. like digging that outfit because the actress at the last minute forced me to change. And then her yellow looks so close to that person's orange because in the first place she wasn't supposed to have yellow on, <laughs> you know? Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. More so that type of thing. Yeah. You're like, dang, in retrospect, this <laughs> would have aged even better. Like, right. Exactly. <laughs> if you if just I listen had to had me. Time. Yep. <laughs> or there have been times that I learned more about aging because I will say that I've seen early things I've done and I was like, that looks like I just, just bought it out the store and this is supposed mm. to be her 10th year wearing it. <laughs> yeah. And it looks like she just got it from the store today. Yeah. So it's, it's those type of things where I'm just like, Oh my God. 
Yeah, I feel like a lot of my early stuff too was a lot of that because even if it was like a thrifted piece or a vintage piece if I didn't like I didn't understand distressing when I first started doing costumes I'd just be like oh cool yeah this makes sense but then you see it on screen and you're like oh it doesn't yeah. make it doesn't look like <laughs> yeah. it makes sense because it's just like so clean or like ugh, one of my biggest pet peeves like you had mentioned earlier is like if like a white shirt or like a white shoe is just so crisp and you're like yeah. that makes no sense they right, just tried right, that on right, from right. Yeah. Or... yeah i'm very thankful that all of my earlier stuff is theater so i only <laughs> have a couple pictures to remember everything by yes. and then it's done the show is closed it's in a box somewhere yeah, yeah. the worst <laughs> thing for me is when there's a blatant continuity flaw mm-hmm. and Ooh, then yeah um we as costume designers are not to be blamed for that. That could be, you know, editing mm-hmm. or unfortunately someone on set missed it or something like that. Um, but when I can see it sometimes, I mean, that's another game I play with watching movies where sometimes I hope the movie is so riveting when I'm watching a movie, but sometimes I can see a continuity thing, especially obviously doing with costumes and it's just like, oh, my God, I wonder what happened that caused that. Because, yeah. you know, you could go to the script supervisor right away and then go to the edit bay right away and let them know so that hopefully they can correct it. But maybe it got so lost in it, you know. And so that's a nightmare. I, I did something. And the little kid, we had to do reshoots. And I don't know what happened or did they lose the continuity picture or whatever, but the it was an edit between the reshoots and the actual shoot. And the kid had on white socks on the first one and then black socks on the other one. I oh was my like, goodness. oh my God, my head. <laughs> oh, I, was no. just, uh, no. I, I was just like, I, I know I saw it. I know everybody else saw that. Right. Mm-hmm. It was like, it was no way of like, oh, that's just my eye for costumes. And you know, that's so quick. It was like on the screen for, it felt like, the whole movie. Oh my goodness. (laughs) I know because you can't unsee it. I feel like I get really cold feet about like having BG bring their own clothes because then I'm really worried they won't bring it next time if I can't have it in my possession Mm -hmm. because it's happened. And then I have like war flashbacks and I'm like, I, I just (laughs) have to provide it. I have to do it. Yeah. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Do you find that you have any more continuity issues when you're doing television because you have that closet that's a little more free or do you find that it kind of has its own system and sort of works itself out I think it's more um in tv because it's so fast moving Mm -hmm. and then uh in tv sometimes depending on if it's a guest actor um that the the set people the set costumers haven't got it down of who's designated to that person. Mm. Like they already have the main characters that are regular. So I can understand their stress. And, you know, I've done set before um, that, you know, that character is just a guest star. So they're not in every scene. So they concentrate mainly on the main characters. Like you might have an actor that's really fussy. Uh, there's actors that twist their jewelry all the time. So you have to stay on them. There's right. ones that, refuse to take off their costumes at lunch. So when they come back, it's yes. like disheveled or whatever. So they're so worried about that, that they, and sometimes the 
ADs don't call, like we're rolling right away. They just go from right from rehearsal to rolling. And it's like, she didn't want to put her earrings in until we were ready. And you never said this was not rehearsal. And now we've been rolling and she hasn't had her earrings on the whole time. Yeah. You know, so not allowing that time in between yeah. for us to be like, okay, now you're ready. Yeah. Especially after lunch. <laughs> yeah. And, and, but with film, it seems like the way it's set up, it's uh, sometimes you spend a day just doing two scenes where in TV you have usually, if it's a sitcom, you have two days of shooting. Mm. And maybe you have, when we used to have audiences, you have the pre-taped shows that you did on Thursday to intertwine with the live shows of the scenes you haven't done on a Friday. And so when you have that kind of breakup and sometimes you're continuing on TV, you're continuing shooting the back half of one scene that you, you, you filmed on Thursday, you film it on Friday. So that leaves a lot of room for the continuity where in T in film, even if you film out of order, is usually once that scene is done, it's done. It's like right. a wrap, unless somehow it correlates into having to see it at nighttime. Like that scene was done in the daytime and it continues into the nighttime and it's done, you know, a month later than that you did it. But usually once you've bagged up that look for that scene, that's it. With TV is too fast and chopped up. So I find it more in TV. But it can happen in film too. Yeah. Yeah, there was that um didn't happen thankfully in the episode, but I remember there was a news article where they were taking promo shots for Downton Abbey and somebody left a plastic water bottle on the mantle. And I was like, that's that's not Edwardian at all. <laughs> yes, yes. See, it's that kind of stuff. It just yeah. happens. And then the thing is, um, you is always zero to hundred. It's like if you're filming for like eight hours straight, there is going to be a moment that you just blanked out. Yeah. And that's the moment something happens. You know, they're filming and some, you just turn your head for a minute or you get on the walkie to answer something really quick or something. Mm -hmm. And then you look and they're filmed. It seems like for five whole minutes that she, that she was done with the next scene. Yeah. It's <laughs> like she wasn't buttoned all the way up like she was. And you're like, oh my God, they shot that whole scene like that. So you have to be... I know it hurts when you're doing set, but you have to be on it. You have to go to the to the script supervisor right away, mm -hmm. let them know, and you have to tell whomever, the powers that be. And it's just like you can't take it as truly your fault. It's just a moment that was taken from you, just distracted you. Mm -hmm. But you have to be quick enough to – you can't just put your – you know brush it under the table kind of thing, right. which mm -hmm. sometimes you have people that are that afraid to make it noticed, but it's better to – Stop it before it continues because it's there now. Yeah. Nobody knows if you didn't tell it and gets all the way to editing. Then sometimes they catch it That's then. Worse. And it's worse then because it's like, can they chop feed it up so that it goes back to when it was continuity right, you right. know? Or, or can it play like, hopefully is the back end of the scene. Maybe she unbuttoned her blouse, you know, mm. by the end of the day. I mean, if what I call the wardrobe gods, if they come down you know i usually <laughs> always use the word costume but for some odd reason wardrobe gods sound better <laughs> it, so, it, it rings. when they land on your shoulder somehow yeah. you're like oh yes yeah, yeah. it didn't end up being such a bad day <laughs> yeah emma and i always joke that costume designers are kind of like 
the set moms where we're the ones being like, ah, I should pull up your socks and like maybe button this and like going around to everybody in everybody's ears kind of be like, hey, uh, let's fix this. And <laughs> mm-hmm. yes. yes. Well, and I also feel like with costume, it's sort of a misconception that like, oh, you put them in the costumes and then like you can just like chill out for the day and you can't. It might be boring that you just have to like watch, watch. what's happening at all time. But yeah. That's a massive part of it, especially when there's um, a smaller crew, like especially yeah. when it's a smaller mm-hmm. um, costume team, there's less eyes to have on it at all times. And yeah. Well, I look at it as, um, and I try to tell my set people this, it's like, um, first of all, we're a team. So work as a team, like you can't play yeah. football without the quarterback. And then the set people are like referees. It's just like, you know, you speak you spot that foul or, you know, um, we call it out. You're going to, you know, lose points for spiking that ball. You know, it's like, <laughs> but if you're, you know, you can sit there and zone out and I understand how that happens, but you have to have your eye pinned as a referee. Right. You're just sitting there and you're waiting, 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 you know? So I just look at it as it's a, it truly is a sport and all of you guys are in the team or players and have your point spots. Yeah, and know it, and we'll know it well, and know that it truly, like you're working as a team. That if there's a loose link, we all fail. Yeah, because it doesn't just go for costuming. Like if somebody is, you know, if they're filming and and maybe something on the back wall, you know, like a, a screw or you know, if a picture's hung up and something like shifts or something gives on exactly. the set and nobody catches it. If you're the one to catch it, it's better, like you were saying, to catch it then than have it get all the way to editing, and then you can't fix it. Yeah. Tell somebody. Yeah. If you see something, say something. Exactly. (laughs) And then also, sometimes on the other end, they're not communicating. They're like, oh, yeah, they changed. You know, like, oh, I know I gave you the picture of the couch is going to be navy, but I'm sorry, it's changed to gray now, you know, for whatever reason. Let me know, because I've dressed everybody according to a navy you know, couch that the, you know, two out of the three characters are actually going to sit down on it. Right. And then their know. whole like midsection of their body. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> How does costume influence the audience members opinion of the character or when you're creating a character, what sort of opinion before they open their mouth, do you want the audience to form of this character? Um, unless it's a hidden secret about the character that is supposed to be um, recognized later. I try to make it, so if a person walks in the room, you can tell that person is conservative, you mm. know, but fashionable. Like there's all different, like every word that is used to describe something really has such a broad meaning when it comes to fashion, because you can say conservative. Does that mean just a pencil skirt for a woman or a suit? Does she have to be a Navy? It could be she's conservative and she wears a cranberry pants suit with pearls but it's like you think of the concept of the character down to like, would that person be like the old school librarian, you know, mm. or would she, or would she be a Vogue version of that, you know, librarian, you know, would she be more of the Prada version of that librarian? And that's all in the context of you understanding the character, how it was delivered through the script, as well as the direction you get from the director. So that's what I try to have pronounced. When you were doing Tales from the Hood, were you, because all of these characters are so diverse, um, 
when you were making those distinctions between a conservative character or a more free character or the children even, like how were you approaching those assumptions for the audience? Because because there are some twists that we're seeing, even just like, you know, like the politician who he we think he's a bad guy at first, but in the cop scene, like the cops make him out to be a bad guy. And then we find out that he was innocent. And I really try to build their look of how I interpret the character. Mm-hmm. But then their action, it helps. First of all, costumes, most actors will say that they don't feel like the true character until they have on their costume. So that's already the two of you are merging. So once they feel truly like that character and you've done your job well for their likes for the character, then they can perform as that character better. Right. And it, and it can, it just helps with their interpretation with the actions they take and all Mm -hmm. of that. And then the story fully completes itself telling itself between you having clothed the actor for his feeling to feel his character to now that he can perform that character. So it's all of everybody working together. And um, I think it just helps them perform, you know, like even sometimes uh, if the, like if the person, I'll use the example of a woman again, is supposed to be really tight-lipped, conservative, hard nurse, maybe I make her skirt a little bit tighter at the knee line as a pencil skirt so that she even walks more rigid, you know, Mm -hmm. like she doesn't have the, flow that in the freedom to like walk in a more flowy skirt so sometimes some things are done deliberately to help make it more stringent for that person mm-hmm. like you know uh, make it a tighter fit for someone maybe to be sexier that helps them because maybe their sexy isn't a Marilyn Monroe flowy dress like that maybe it's a bodycon dress right you know because there's all different ter- interpretations of sexy. So once you've kind of figured out the character with the help of the director and the actor themselves, how they feel the character is, you can really manipulate the costume to work and help them work as that character they feel. Mm-hmm. I love yeah. all those little details. Like that's, I think what I love the most about costume design, because that's where you're able to start getting into the nitty gritty of this character and of this world. And I just find it so cool to be able to, it's not just as simple as putting a character in an outfit they like. It's, there's so many ways to create, like you'd mentioned, like a better performance or a more cohesive, you know, scene. Like when you look at the film, it just can make the whole story flow better. It can emphasize the production design. Like there's so many elements that, Uh, come into play when you're costuming that I don't think a lot of people know about because there truly is so many little details you can change and so many little things you can do like down to like if a character you know does this character wash their laundry how much should I distress or pre-wash like how wrinkled should their clothes be you know all these little things that add up to a film that I think the costume department is really responsible for and I just find it so cool and so freeing because it almost feels like there's limited possibilities when it comes to costume yeah that's what helps the audience read the character because if you have two guys who work in the same office but they're one is uh 
really put together. Like he's meticulous. Well, he's the kind that you see his sleeve partially, just a nippet of the percentage of the white shirt you see under the suit jacket. And he's tied, you know, with, with a Windsor knot instead of, you know, just a regular tie. Mm -hmm. um, and then you have the other person that works in the same office and his, his jacket, it's always unbuttoned. Uh, the shoulders are a little bit too big. It's ill fit. You know, um, his belt doesn't match his shoes. It's like that you can already tell what kind of character that is. If you do those two distinctions of two businessmen, the same job, the same office, if they walk in the door at the same time, you can already tell the one who's meticulous and the one that isn't. And that comes from them not even opening their mouth. It's just, boom, what do you see? Yeah. You see, you know, does this guy wear white socks, you know, with a business suit? And the other one <laughs> is just together, you know, or how spiffy one is to the other. You might have one that really is dressed meticulous and then one that's even on a higher bread where they wear cufflinks, mm -hmm. pocket square, right. you know, an ascot. And the other one is all prodded down. But this other guy is more elaborate, you know? So um, there's so many levels. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's what costume design does for characters. They can, they can really, if you read the script, sometimes they could actually look identical. But if you start to figure out one character's distinct characteristics, um, then you could say, oh, I want to play him this way. Mm -hmm. And that's when you start doing the boards, you know. And then that's when you can present it where the director himself might not even be able to correlate like the distinction clothing wise. That's why you're hired. And right. so they say, you got it. That one, I want them both <laughs> to be dressed fancy, but that one where it's ascots, maybe that's his signature thing. You know, yeah. he wears pocket squares that matches socks. You know, he might be the kind that he's put together so well, but he's the one that doesn't wear socks and you can see his ankles, you know, mm -hmm. type of thing, but he's still spiffy. It's like to make those small maneuvers, you know, you mm -hmm. know, uh, maybe, um, you know, he wears Italian suits. You can tell by the stitching, uh, the top stitch, or he wears only double breasted, you know, or he wears like the new thing is for the men to wear the real, real, real fitted suits, <laughs> you know, very and tight. One, yeah. You know, so limitless possibilities. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Tracy, for joining us. This has yes, been thank an you. absolute joy to chat with you. And thank you for having me. Yes, absolutely. It's been super cool to hear your insight and also just like, nerd out about costume yeah. and yes it's, yes it's just really exciting to be able to chat with you and hear all about your projects so where else can we find you on the interwebs and what else do you have coming up okay coming up um streaming now are the upshaws on netflix and um that's with wanda sykes mike epps and kim's fields it's i think it's really it's funny it's a comedy it's great and then on IG, on Instagram, my handle is Tracy A. White, T-R-A-C-E-Y-A-W-H-I-T-E. Yeah, and you have to follow her because she has the most fun stories I've ever seen, and they really bring a smile to my day. <laughs>
great. It's a great. little ray of sunshine. Yeah. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Yes. Thank you. And thank you everyone for listening. We've had an amazing time and I hope you also enjoyed hearing everything Tracy had to say about costume and costuming the horror genre and the fabulous anthology horror film Tales from the Hood. Thank you as always for joining us. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram at to die for podcast. That's D Y E and on Twitter at die podcast. And next time you go into your closet, remember that your pieces could also be to die for.